welcome. It's so wonderful to have you all here today. Um, we've been going over this series in the book of Mark, uh, the Gospel of Mark, where what we're affirming now is how God sees the marks in our lives. Whether it's the accolades that we brag about, gives us a sense of confidence, or there's other types of marks, wounds we all carry, pain that we have yet to process. And yet Jesus addresses both spectrums of this. And as we look at Jesus' life and his ministry, we also see the more and more he's healing people, being with people, ministering to people, the more conflict there is, the more tension that's built up. And from the previous chapter, we see in chapter 3 how Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. And just because of that, it's created an intense sense of conflict. And yet Jesus is still, his heart is still set to minister to people. And so let's understand Jesus' heart towards us as we turn to today's passage, which comes from uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 7 through 19. Mark chapter 3, verse 7 through 19. And if you guys find your places there, if you're able, can you please stand with me as we read God's word, as I read God's word to you? These are God's holy, inspired, and life-giving words. Let's give them our full attention today. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, uh, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed the twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bornemarius, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Amen. Those goes are of God's word. May he continue to bless it for us as the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Friends, please be seated. I don't know about you, but have you ever walked around in your house and you had this specific mission in mind, maybe to grab some shoes or a pair of clothes, you have some sort of chore in mind, you go to another place in your room and you go there and you get distracted and then you totally forget why you were there in the first place. It happens to me quite often. That's how I feel about church sometimes, is that we show up, we gather, and we're so used to it, but then sometimes we forget why are we here? That's the question I want to present. Why are we here? Some of you asked me this question, why I chose to come to a place like New Life Fremont. And someone told me this story. 
There was an Iranian woman who showed up to this church. She was in a place of distress, from what I remember. And people ministered to her. They heard her out, her problems. The gospel was preached to her. The Bible was shared. At one moment, I guess everyone prayed together, and this woman starts to pray in Farsi, her native tongue. And people realize, I think she believes in God now. I heard this story. It gave me chills that God could still work this way. And I said, that's why I want to go. That there is a great sense of mission. Church is both an institution, but it's also a movement. A movement that we call mission. Church is called to this mission because God has a missional heart. And in this passage, we see that kind of missional heart that Jesus really has. And we're going to consider two things for us today. One is a crowd. Second, there's a call. Let's look at the first part, crowd. Previously, Jesus angered the religious elites of his time by healing a man on the Sabbath day. He didn't just break the law. In the eyes of the Pharisees, he committed treason. That's a capital offense. And what chapter 3, verse 6 ends with, it says that the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. Jesus is placed on a hit list just because he heals. He's a dead man walking. So you would naturally assume if he has this kind of notoriety, let's not deal with him. Let's not associate with him at all. But that's not what happens. In our passage today, we see that even more people gather. They surround him from all over the, uh, the, the area. Uh, people were traveling. Some people traveled over hundreds of miles just to see Jesus, which would calculate into 200 plus if you count the round trip. Keep in mind, this is before cars or pre-frequent uh, frequent flyer miles times. And usually when you hear that a celebrity has shown up at a specific location, there's also this common courtesy that everyone is supposed to have to line up, to ask politely for an autograph or a photo, to give personal space. But this crowd here, they have no regard for Jesus' personal space. People just touched him like a good luck charm. They were violating him. And as Jesus looks around, he tells his disciples in verse 9, have a boat ready for him, an escape plan, just in case the crowd gets too unruly and crushes him. That's the language there. Crushes him. Sometimes in a crowd, it, it, sometimes I think about this crowd and I think about the Bay Area, a very dense and crowded place. And with a crowd, when you're shoulder to shoulder, it's easy to rub people the wrong way. It's easy to rub people the wrong way. When I told people that I'm moving to the Bay Area, you know the first reaction everyone said to me is? The very first thing people said to me is, oh, it's so expensive there. Like, that's encouraging. I want to go up to the Bay now. But that's what they said. And as I came up here, I realized they weren't lying. And usually when I take walks around this area, 
I like to make an effort to smile at people, the people that I pass by when we make eye contact. And it takes a lot for me to smile at people. But every time I smile at people, at least from my experience in this place called Fremont, no one smiles back. <laughs> Maybe I have that kind of face. I don't know. Or I believe people might be too preoccupied with the pressures that are crushing them. Especially with all the Google layoffs and the tech industry being hit by them. I imagine more people are on the edge. It's hard to live in this area. There's pressures, it's crushing. And the kids aren't sprayed either. I went to my kids' open house uh, like a couple weeks ago. I hear all the moms that congregate talking about all the extra school activities. And I just think, man, is my kid supposed to do that? You know, you start to feel the pressure of that. And out of all these rooms, guess which room was the most crowded? It's the computer science room. It's bubbling with people. And, uh, you know, concerned parents are asking, how's my kid doing? Is he going to be the next Steve Jobs? Does he have this kind of potential? The teacher just kind of explains what they do. And he talks about how, you know, he prepares the students, and some students already have jobs, and they got hired because they're so proficient with technology. And I, I thought, aren't there child labor laws? These are like 10-year-olds. Why? And he says, they also get fired so they can really learn what it's like in the real world. They can be adults now. With all due respect, I, I don't think that's that great. You're only kids for so long. You're an adult until you die. There's got to be some perspective here. This pressure, it, it surrounds everyone. It surrounds everyone in the Bay. It's crushing. Where we don't have the capacity sometimes to be kind, to take the time to listen, to smile at one another. Because we all feel this pressure of not wanting to be left behind. It's crushing. In such an environment that Jesus is, in the crowd that's literally crushing him, that has no regard for him, how does Jesus respond? Verse 10. He heals them. He heals them. Okay, maybe, well, maybe Jesus saw potential followers and that's why he heals them. But as far as I'm concerned, that's not really what happens. Because look at verse 11. The demons that are cast out, they are the only ones who recognize who Jesus is. You are the son of God. No one else recognizes who this is. Which means Jesus' return of investment for healing is nothing. Zero. No one believes in him. No one places their faith in him. They only want the healing, but not the healer himself. And yet Jesus knew this. He knew this fully well. And he still chooses to heal. He still chooses to heal. You know, for us, I think it's hard for us to invest in anyone's life if the odds don't seem good for us, if the return of investment doesn't seem good for us. I've been enamored by this new series, this new show. It's called Beef. It's on Netflix. It ranked number one on top of the charts for a while. An all-Asian-American cast. Can you imagine? And yet, it's number one. I can't recommend this to everyone because of its adult com uh, content. I watched it with my wife, and some racy scenes, my wife would just hold out her foot in front of the computer screen saying, Don't watch! 
So that's the kind of uh, series it is, what kind of show. But what captured me about this show is how it artistically expresses the human condition. How it expresses the human condition. See, it's about an incident of road rage between an upper middle class woman who has it all. She's artistic, she's sophisticated. Her name is Amy Lau. And then there's a contractor grinding it out, hustling. His name is Danny Cho. And one little road rage incident sparks an all-out war to sabotage each other's lives. It's not just about road rage. But as the character Danny Cho puts it, there is always something. There is always something. Is that not true for all of us? There's always something that we're struggling with. There's always something that we have to wrestle with. And there's this one scene in the show where Danny Cho goes to church for the first time and the praise song comes on, Come to the Altar, which our praise leader sang twice last week and I can't help thinking, stop thinking about beef. And Danny Cho, as he hears this praise song, just starts weeping, weeping in church. It's such a familiar scene because it reminds you of why perhaps many of you still go to church. That there is a God who reminds you that he still has a tender heart for you. That God still has a tender heart for you. Regardless of how hardened you can be, his heart softens for you. What both Amy and Danny realize about each other, no spoiler here, is that they're not all that different. They're just two broken people who just need someone to care for them. We're not all that different either. We're just as broken. We need someone to care. And church is the reminder that God is the one who does care. God cares for us. And this is not what the church is also called to, to care for others, to embrace this missional heart that God has for all of us. Which brings us to the second point here, the call. Jesus goes on top of a mountain and he calls 12 disciples to himself. He couldn't just, he, he couldn't just call the uh, disciples from the ground. Yet why make this trip up to the mountains, right? You don't take a trip up to Tahoe when you could have tell a state local in Fremont to tell people that they've got the job. Yet for some reason, Moses goes up the mountain. It's a reenactment of Moses up on Mount Sinai, where God declared the 12 tribes of Israel as his people. And Jesus is showing he is the greater Moses who now gathers in the new Israel, which will eventually be the church. And as Jesus gathers the 12, in verse 14, he names them apostles, which literally means sent out ones. Go preach, go cast out demons. These 12 represent Christ as his ambassadors. They're sent out to gather and to declare that the kingdom of God is at hand. For Jesus to name them means that he fully endorses them in their work. And so who exactly does Jesus call? You ever hear about this guy named Johnny Ken? He's this ex-Navy SEAL, he's a graduate of Harvard, he's, he's a doctor, he's also a doctor, and now he works for NASA as an astronaut. 
He's like every Asian parent's dream for their children to become. There's memes about this guy, how he's just the most perfect human being alive. This is who you expect Jesus to surround himself with. A bunch of Johnny Kims to witness to the world that God's kingdom is here. Instead, who does Jesus choose? A dozen Homer Simpsons to be his representatives. Simon, he talked too much. He thought too little about his actions. John, he's like the youngest sibling, always loved on, but never takes initiative to help out with the parents' birthday parties or anything like that. Matthew, he works for the IRS. That's enough said about him, right? John, uh, or uh, Thomas, he's as cynical as they get. He's the guy that, oh, whenever you come up with a plan, he always tells you all the reasons why it's not going to work. That's Thomas. He sounds fun, right? Then there's Simon the Canaanian, who's also known as a, ze a zealot. He is, he, you would find this guy on January 6th riding the White House. And to top all this off, the grand finale of them all, there's Judas, who is forever known as the betrayer. Ladies and gentlemen, there is your dream team. There is your dream team. You have to wonder, isn't there anyone else? Out of all the swarms of people that came to Jesus, couldn't he have picked a better, uh, better disciples? And yet herein lies the wisdom of God. He didn't call the Johnny Kims. He called all of us. Listen, this is not my backhanded way of saying you're all Homer Simpsons. That's not it. Okay, that's not it at all. And New Life Fremont, it's okay to be messy. We believe what the Bible says in Philippians 1.6, where it says that God who, became, who began a, new, a good work in you will bring it to completion. We believe in that. It might be slow, but God's still at work. We don't need you to be amazing people. What I'm praying for is for you to be amazed at how gracious God can be towards you. How merciful, how forgiving, how loving He is towards you. It's not about being amazing people. It's about people being amazed by God of who He is. In this passage, you're not really given a clear reason why He calls this group of disciples. But you're only left with this detail in verse 13. He says this. He called to him those whom he desired. Or another way to read that is he himself wanted. In a world where everyone needs you to be something, needs you to be responsible, needs you to be perform, everyone needs you for something. They need you for your stuff. Here is a God who is all-sufficient, who doesn't need any of us, and simply says, Church, you are wanted. You are not needed, but you are dearly, dearly wanted. That is what God's grace is. This is the mystery. And yet for some insane reason, God chose us in Christ and yet, is this not the gentle reminder every Sunday that he wants to be with us? And yet, for some insane reason, he also wants to, us to be part of his mission. 
The apostles, they have power to cast out demons, and we think that would be nice for us. If we had this kind of power, people will believe. If God just gave us some amazing gifts. My father-in-law, he came to visit this church once, participated in our worship. He talked with some of you. And back at home, he tells me, you know, Amos, I feel like you have a good thing going. I agree with him. He's never wrong about these things. I saw the same thing. I saw God still at work at a place called New Life Fremont. You know, when we all gathered together for Good Friday in my house, the fact that all of you gave up a Friday just to be there and to sing songs with me and bear my singing, I thought right there and then and there, I knew, okay, these people want to be here. Unless you're, t- unless you're thinking something different, I don't know. Then like Easter, I don't know why, it was such a lovely time as people were eating together and like the cotton candy was going on and like the adults were screaming saying, oh, cotton candy, which is so much like enthusiasm from them playing with their kids. And like for some reason that image alone for me was a reminder how in church, God's reminding us we're we're all just kind of like little kids. And yet he's our heavenly father that really wants to minister to us to remind us that he's still with us in this life, this crazy thing called life. How do we minister in an area called the Bay Area? How do we have God's missional heart where everyone seems to be distracted, crushed by the pressures of daily living? You know, the easiest way to get someone's attention when they're distracted is to simply help them. You don't need to cast out demons. All you need to do is help, care, love one another and our neighbors, whether they come to faith or not. This is what we're called to. At the end of the day, lives are healed and changed not because of our impressiveness, but because of the one who calls. Why are we here? It's because There is a God who saw the crushing weight of our sin. And then instead of ignoring our fate, Jesus walks towards the trouble. He came to a cross where he became crushed for our sins so that by his wounds, you might be healed. This, my friends, is the missional heart of God. It's the only reason why we're here. It's the only reason why we can move towards a troubled world. That's why we're here, and we will continue to be. With that in mind, can I close us in a word of prayer? Father God, sometimes it's easy for us to coast and forget the reasons of why you've called a church like New Life Fremont to be here. That there's something more than to keep the lights on, But as we look at the Bay Area, as we look at the neighbors around us, there's a lot of pressing concerns that crush all of us. And yet, Jesus, only you are able to truly minister and change lives. And so we ask, as your servants, as your children, may we truly reflect the missional heart that you have towards us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.